Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. In the fall of 1949, at some unspecified place in the United States, a group of scientists had set up equipment to measure background radiation. The small amount of harmless radiation that is always present in our atmosphere. This natural radiation varies to a certain degree, but will never increase by any appreciable amount unless there's a good reason. From, again, the report on unidentified, unidentified flying objects by Ed Rupelt, joined today again, Dr. Bill. What's up? Hey, how you doing? Living the dream, sir, as always. Yeah. You know, it's been nice, sunny, smoke California. I think the, I think the fires are finally, uh, finally winding down or doing what they're doing but it's uh, a lot of people lost their homes and cabins and things up there oh really i didn't see that yeah wow yeah it was uh yeah it was it was pretty bad so um you know it's yeah it's, i don't know what are you gonna do i mean it's california now i guess you gotta take your take your chances yeah, well, we you know have everything, so we, as they say, <laughs> yeah. so you know why why be bothered about it? So um, you sent me a little note here on um, trying to bring it up again, Doctor Salvatore Cesar Hayes. Yeah, and this is the new Nikola Tesla. That's well, a question mark that they put in it. Um, well, he engineered devices and UFO patents for the Navy. Yeah, yeah. This has been going on for a while, and he's uh, he's been written up before. And this was just another um, another article, which he has these wild patents about uh, you know different sort of uh, propulsion mechanisms for craft, and I think he even had an invisibility thing and a bunch of stuff. And I was looking yeah, at, I think yeah, good. It was uh, like I, a time I don't know time distortion, but I think it was odd. Yeah, so, I mean, the stuff is out there, and, you know, they're saying that the Navy has tested some of the stuff, and they haven't tested this, and, you know, the results are inconclusive, and uh, they've interviewed him, and, uh, you know, they can't, you know, people, yeah, I don't know. Well, he actually has patents on, uh, he actually has patents on these things, but um, the thing is, it's a lot of some scientists have come out to say that, yeah, it's a wish list. You know, it's, yeah. we, it, it, not anybody could put this together, but what they're stating is that basically, yeah, it's like you or I coming up with an idea, but not so much technical for us, but we thought of it. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he's, you know, but he's got patent. Even, uh, the, even the scientists kind of questioned the fellow, how do you get a patent on this? Because it's not... It's theoretical, you know, so I guess you can get a patent on theory, hmm. you know, rather than actual. He has drawings. I mean, there's drawings in here, rather rudimentary, but they're, and then, you know, it's got like numbers. This is this, this is that, uh, but it doesn't really, I mean, you can look these things up though. I yeah. Mean, yeah. They were saying that those, the patents were there online for you to look over. 
Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of it. He's been written up a couple times. Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting stuff. I mean, he people, they were saying that the Navy tested something and, and didn't see an effect or whatever. But he's got support from the Navy, and he's, his work is continually to be funded and stuff. So I don't know what to make of it. Uh, it's, well, it's, it's a small nuclear <coughs> reactor. I mean, this thing could pump out. I mean, it's six meters long. It's six meters. Um, and it would, it generates um, gigawatts of, you know, like two gig, say gig nuclear reactor. I, oh, I'm not a technician. Two gigawatt, but it can pump out um, about half as much as a nuclear reactor could put out, and yep. that's pretty crazy. I mean, you could put this thing in an airplane, and then, um, you know, or, or craft, I should say, and then. But still, we run across the same old problem of if you're going. 1500 miles an hour you get slammed against a bulkhead or is this thing folding space in front of you or how is it that it can or is it just a drone you know that doesn't yeah. worry about flesh and blood it just yeah i don't goes know crazy fast it's interesting you know that's the thing well just looking at this page it's interesting he's talking about a um Amazing vehicle would be able to zoom around with ease, both high in the air and deep in the sea. It would travel through air, water, and space by generating a quantum vacuum with an energy field, whatever that means. So that could that could solve the puzzle of what happens to you know flesh and blood inside the thing. You know, I mean, maybe yeah. I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the effect on the in occupants of this vehicle for for this proposed. Uh, um, mode of travel is yeah this guy yeah. he keeps coming up but this fits in you were looking into like like the zero point energy and these other things and we were talking about the philadelphia experiment a little bit and this sort of ties into that stuff okay and, and you could also uh sort of speculate these you know he's here he has speculation speculation he has this he's proposed this craft that uh can do all this stuff, and they remember the um, the video from the drug interdiction craft, where they're showing that thing flying around that airport, and it goes under the water, and it doesn't change speed, and it goes, you know, does all yeah. this other stuff. I mean, this is what this guy's supposed craft could do. So you could speculate that um, this is one of the things that we saw in the uh, Defense Authorization Act, Section sixteen fifty two from last time we talked uh, where they're asking to look into if this type of craft has been developed by you know, other countries or whatever <clears throat> and this guy's got patents that say that this you know he's got patents for craft that could supposedly do this so I don't know what this means well but, again it's you know the other side just like yeah it's theoretical yeah he's got a patent but it's not but the Navy isn't allegedly the Navy is interested yeah, yeah. And, um you know, it should be interesting. Now, to this week I picked up, I don't know if you have it, I don't know if you recommended it, because I'm getting quite the collection myself now. Yeah. Um, the Hunt for Zero Point Inside the Classified World of Anti-Gravity Technology. Have you run into that one yet? Uh, I think I did. I read that. I think that's the one I, I said I read a few years ago. And um, I don't... And, of course, you know... Loaded it on my wife's Kindle, on the Kindle or her Kindle account, I should say. Yeah. Um, 
and oh. she's like, "What? What are you? What? what? What are you reading? What is it? What is the world? I don't know. You were that well. I said I'm not that technical, but I can figure it out. Yeah, it, it's a good story. The Philadelphia experiments, you know, with the Eldridge. I know we've talked about that. Yeah, it's a good yeah. story. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to reread that we, book coming up. You know, it, I want to look into the Eldridge thing uh, um, a little closer. You know, at some point. Well, I was um, I was looking at something, yeah. and they're they're actually saying that it was a different. Uh, I saw a thing where it says because there's a conflict with this uh, the guy that came up. This story is convoluted with about the Philadelphia experiment, and it's I, I don't know anything about it other than vaguely the movie and the book that I looked at. But but the one thing I did see is that online is that the um, Eldridge and this. This guy's ship that supposedly saw the experiment weren't in port at the same time. And then there was uh, something else that was saying, well, it may not have been the Eldridge, but a, actually a different ship that uh, he saw. So, I don't know. It, yeah, it's going to be worth looking into. It's interesting stuff. Um, well, and then, of course, we can't ignore the Nazi bell. Nazi bell. Because this is, you know... Um, you know, the, this thing also is, uh, you know, did you read, did you have to read the article about the guy that actually went to the site? Yeah, yeah. I looked, the hand, I, I, they call it the hinge, like yeah, stone hinge, spelled I, like that. Yeah, I, I looked, yeah, I looked, I looked through it. I think I'd read it before, uh, probably after I, I looked at that site, after I'd read that Zero Point book, which uh, I don't remember a lot of details. I remember it was interesting and the guy's got a good speculation, but I didn't uh, walk away with any major insights. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, the hinge looks just like they showed other pictures showing the structure of uh, the support structure underwater towers that were used in Germany. Uh, so I don't know. Um, well, the guy, you know, he, it was an interesting story because he actually drove there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> awesome. He was on the Audubon and he talked about, you know, his experience on the Audubon and that he drove this little SUV thing yeah. once he got to the site. And, you know, he had the hinge, and it's where they think that they actually chained the bell to the hinge, so it wouldn't fly away, I guess. Um, but it tied well, into the Kecksburg, you know, it did allegedly tied into the Kecksburg um, UFO crash, which really yeah, had another story with Kecksburg that it was actually a Russian satellite or something that crashed, because they said... They saw hieroglyphics on it, and they said, that's Russian writing. Okay. So, who knows, you know, if that's really tied in together. But uh, it's in the book. Um, it's also which uh, the, secret, the Secrets of the Unified Field Yeah, has both stories in it, so I'm going to have to go through that. Um, we, can, we can talk about that later on, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, like, I, I read the Zero Point book years ago, and, um, like I said, it was... I read it. It was interesting. I don't know. I don't remember it that well. Um, it didn't really stick with me. The, um, but that said, it's like I think that the Foo Fighter phenomenon was a, a Nazi weapon. So, and not what yeah. a, a lot of people say. It's like the beginning of the UFO thing. I think it was a a, a, a German energy weapon that was shooting, you know, ball lightning at aircraft. Yeah, and it wasn't really, as we talked about a few episodes ago, it really wasn't that destructive. No, it didn't, um, it didn't do anything. It was more like fireworks. 
Yeah, but I mean, if you you shot a, a ball lightning at an aircraft on the ground and it hits the ground, it's going to probably mess it up. So they, if it yeah. was a theoretical weapon, they were and they tested it on a, shooting it at an aircraft on the ground, and they could see that it would follow aircraft in the air. Um, as far as they knew, it was a functional weapon, untested but functional weapon. And when they were shooting it at the aircraft around Strasbourg, um, you know, hey, if you're desperate, it was the end, the end of the war. Deploy a experimental weapon, um, and you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. If it worked, it could it could have been a uh, game changer if it had worked. And it well, would have it been it, it would have been nuts if it had worked, but it would have been a game changer because it would have just they would have just been knocking planes down out of the air left, right, and sideways. Well, it's kind of weird that the, it's a weird story that not a story. It's weird that at right at the end of the war, the Nazis among I mean, look at the ME two sixty two, their jet fighter that they built. Not very efficient, but it was a jet fighter. And you know, when we saw that thing in the air, when we had Mustangs, which were state of the art at the time. Um, it was scary. I mean, those things were fast, and they, you know, if they'd have been able to mass produce those things, oh yeah, I mean, with, that would have been a game changer with the war too. I mean, oh, they yeah. got the Nazi, you know, they got this. Like the Nazi bell is not really a, it's a could be a folklore. I don't know. Um, but what was they yeah. the hinge they said was a cooling. T- I think what it, the, the the people he actually the guy that went over there actually uh, talked to some of the people that lived in the area, the uh-huh. indigenous the indigenous people. And uh, they said it was a cooling tower. They said, oh, yeah, this isn't the only one of these things. It's a, it's a part of a cooling base or something. Uh-huh. I don't know. So I don't know what the thing really was. But, you know, well, it was I, kind of bizarre. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those stories. I like it. And uh, and watch Iron Sky. They they have the Nazi. They have the bell. I think I've seen. Yeah, I started. I got to set it up on. I think it's on Netflix. I got to set it up and that and watch that. Yeah. There are certain things that I. There are certain movies that Debbie will hang with me. <laughs> and this isn't going to be one of them. No. I can tell you already. It's uh. And there's a part two. Did you see part two? Yeah, I, I I've seen part of it. I don't think I've watched the whole thing. I, sh- I should watch it. It's got some great scenes in it. Um, they yeah, have- the reviews are pretty good. I, ironically enough, you know, for a story like that. And it was a low budget movie, and I think they they had a great idea. Of, I don't think they managed to carry it off as well as they could have, but it was a um, um, great idea for a movie. It's up there with uh, the idea is up there with the first Hellboy movie, which was uh, yeah. The best of all the Hellboy. Oh yeah, and it was just so well structured and the whole bit. Uh, they could have done that with Iron Sky if they'd worked a little harder on it. I don't think they had the money. No, they were. They, I think they they were building it as they went along, and as they got more money, they were able to sort of complete the project and stuff. But for what they did, it was a good job, very good job. Um, hey, I wanted to um, mention that you know we're we are talking about. Um, been looking into Harold or Harold Edward J. Ruppelt's book, The Report on Flying Objects. And for people that are interested, that book you can is um, open source and you can find it online for free. It's on I think you can find it on Google Books. You can find it on the archive.org 
and you can find it on the Global Grey Books, which is a website out of the UK where a um, woman takes books and she um, curates them. Because if you download a book from like Google Books, uh, they've scanned it in, and if you you scan it in as an ebook, it's got a lot of errors in it. So what this lady has done is she, she's gone in and she's she's corrected the errors and cleaned up the text. And she asked for a donation, but you don't have to give a donation. I gave a donation. I downloaded. I wanted an e-copy of the report of unidentified flying objects, and I downloaded it from her site and I gave a do donation. And she's not a sponsor, so she's not getting any money out of this. But uh, <laughs> but I, I wanted that, if anybody's interested and they want to read the book that we're talking about, you can, it's free, it's online, there's multiple sources to find it. Uh, in, you know, I think it's in PDF format. Also, you can find Flying Saucers Are Real by Donald Kehoe. That's an open source book and you can find it online. And you can find Coming of the Saucers by Arnold uh, is also free and open source online. This lady, Global Gray Books, um, has copies of these books curated and you can find them there. She has it under occult and spiritualism or something. Really? Yeah, but I mean it's got a ton of stuff in there. She's got fiction in there too. It's got all sorts of stuff. But um, I just pay for mine. Did you get a hard copy of it? Well, too? I have a hard copy, but I wanted an e-copy so I could search it. Oh, so, good. So I could search the text. And I mean, like I said, you can get it on from a couple other sites, but this site, she's curated it a lot of the, when Google Books, Google had a great idea of putting together, you know, all the libraries of the world online, and then they, you know, people poopied their pants because of copyright stuff, and the yep. U U.S. copyright law was changed because of Disney, so a copyrighted thing is copyrighted for like a thousand years, and uh, to save Mickey Mouse, save Mickey, save Mickey. Yeah, and, well, we love Disney, we all love Disney. Yeah, yeah. Not so much. Did you ever hear about? I mean, I'm, we're going to get off on a tangent. Yeah. Um, the yeah. kid that, that that had passed away that wanted. Oh, I can't remember. I think it was which Marvel uh, character it was, but he really loved it. I don't know if it was Iron Man or what. I should have. I, my, I just kind oh, of. Oh, I I, it, I remember. I remember that vaguely. Yeah, and he wanted so they put it on his tombstone. And then Disney came in and said, nope, can't do it. It's copyrighted. Can't do it. Copyrighted. I thought that was the shittiest thing I've ever heard. Oh, you know, no. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, it, that was bad. That was bad. And I, that, that's, I, it, that's just, that's just, um, the, the people are just, the, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. People are just stupid. Um, and, oh, anyway, but these books are available uh, if you need them. Uh, the co current copyright law is, uh, I think it's 90 years after the death of the author, so a lot of stuff is from the 30s, I think, is coming out it, off of copyright. Uh, these books were not, were published in the 50s, but um, the authors are dead, and there's nobody to um, contest the fact that these are open source and online. You, and I think... Uh, I, I, I probably shouldn't do this. Uh, I think Rupelt, Rupelt had a daughter, and uh, she probably could contest this. And uh, if I was her, I would, and I'd put out editions of this book and actually profit from it. Uh, Kehoe, yeah. Kehoe has a bunch of books, but his first book is apparently allowed to be free and online. Uh, the other ones, I think some of them have been reproduced, and or you got to buy them. A lot of these older UFO books... Um, 
that I've been bringing together, some of them aren't even reprinted anymore, so which is why the price is, is get high on these things. Yeah. But anyway, two cents. The book's free. If you want it, find it, read it. It's uh, the Rupelt, the report of unidentified flight. It's it's a great read, and um, it's the guy that started Project Blue Book, and he um, he lays it out. So it and it basically what you'll walk away from, or what we've walked away from, is, is there's something going on. I mean, yeah. we don't you don't know what's going on, but there's definitely some sort of phenomenon going on. And as we, have we seen with the Pentagon and Project Galileo at Harvard and all this other stuff. Um, some very serious people think are finally, after 70 years, uh, agreeing with this, that something, some, this needs to be looked at scientifically. And this is what Hynek was, was fighting for, and this is what uh, McDonald was fighting for, and there's even a uh, physicist at Stanford, um, David F. Salisbury was promoting, and he's, he's still promoting it. So anyway, all right. La la so, that's that's it. The commercial. The commercial is now. Is the over. commercial Co for uh, the commercial is now the report over. on unidentified flying objects is now concluded. Now concluded. Uh, Read the book. Find the book. It's free. If you're interested. This is what we're talking about, but we're not talking about every single detail. Only the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. You could listen to us, but you're going to get a lot more if you actually go into the uh, book itself. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So the radiation story. So I, I got it, you know, I started reading this, and this, the book, I don't want to say dry, but there's a lot of, you know, they're not as, oh, I, there's, it was, it's been inconclusive as to what the results of the findings are. Yeah, we saw UFOs, and we had jets chase the UFOs, and in this episode, I found intriguing. Um the radiation story. So, you know, he runs across uh, a group of scientists who accidentally figured out they were running a Geiger counter. You, you're, you're more into the science, but yeah. they're running a modified Geiger counter, basically. And all of a sudden, the thing spikes. And so instead of going, it's like, Gee! you know, yeah. and then it And then all of a sudden, one of the guys from the uh, the group came in and said, I saw a flying saucer, and it just happened, they put it together that um, the it coincided with the the Geiger counter reading coincided with the flying saucer flying over. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so, I, I've, so then, you know, it, it gets around, Rupelt gets a hold of the story, um, drops everything, flies back to the West Coast talks to the scientists. There was more before this, but um, talks to I think it was talked to the scientists who concurred that that's what happened. So they did a lot of experiments. They were up on this. They call it the Rock Hounds. They were they they pretended like they were uh, studying geology, but they, in reality they were modifying this device and. He had no nothing for like a year, I think. Nothing happened. And all of a sudden, um, it happened again. Where, you know, and then it happened again and again. And then all of a sudden, the Rockhounds got, you know, they got their degrees. And they went on to their profession. And the thing kind of disbanded. But the story came out. And Rappel got a hold of it. And then, you know, he talked. There was an officer. There was a... 
a colonel involved and um, the scientists, the head scientists had looked into it. And he, you know, they agreed that, but they just, it's funny because they had, so they were on, they were, and it was not official. So they were doing all this on the side. It wasn't under government direction. It was like their hobby, basically. Well, there was, there was actually, so Ruppelt disguises a lot of the details. And um, so I have, I have in front of me. Uh, a list of all the okay, of all the uh, communists in the uh, Department of Defense. Um, no, I don't. Of a what? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right no, that's that's from that's then. that's from the McCarthy hearings in the 1950s. Too. <laughs> you can't uh, uh, Yeah. Oh, uh, so anyway, what I have what I have is I have the a summary. So Project Blue Books depository for each sort of incident they would have a summary card so I have a copy of the summary card from Project Blue Book I have the um, projects the summary report from the Project Blue Book report number nine dated January 1953 no Project Blue Book report number 10 uh, 27 February 1953 uh, classified secret which has now been unclassified so the, the, the original Project Blue Book summary card from their files states this. October 14, 1949, location Mount Palomar Observatory, California, time 1.15 and 1.20 p.m. Summary. Observatory Manager of Public Relations Harley C. Marshall drove away from observatory when he saw a perfect V of V's formation of about 16 to 18 silver objects without tails or wings overhead traveling at a high um, 1 plus 1 EM. Oh, I don't know what so uh, Damn it, you didn't do the calculation? Yeah, I don't know what it is. 1 plus 1 EM effects on com- cosmic ray detectors speed to the northwest uh, emitting sound like jets but not quite the same which noticeably lagged behind visual location of objects in the sky about 35 to 40 degrees. Marshall stopped car and observed objects disappear uh, behind cloud cover that extended from horizon to about 45 elevation. Uh, he returned to the observatory and phoned assistant superintendent electrician B.B. Traxler on duty, who at about 1.20 p.m. saw one dark, unidentified object traveling to the southwest while checking the cosmic ray Geiger counter recording equipment and saw that the needle had jumped off scale for several seconds. For the next 10 days, another 21 incidents of off-scale cosmic ray detector incidents occurred at scattered times, fitting a periodic one-and-a-half-hour time schedule, which is interesting, which means yeah. that that sounds like it's uh, some sort of natural event or potentially a uh, equipment problem, but I don't know. A phenomenon not seen before or after, which would, uh, and unexplained by equipment failure or radio information, infer- Inference, interference from aircraft, several Navy aircraft of different prop and jet types were flown near Palomar Observatory using radio, radio altimeter and radars on October 21 and November 2nd in an unsuccessful effort to trigger the Geiger counter. Um, 
Da, 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 da. Albert Falk was a scientist working at the detector. Mount Pollard was chief scientist, Naval Electronic Laboratory. Later chief scientist, Point Mogu Naval Missile Test Station. I know Dr. Falk's son, who unfortunately doesn't know anything about the Mount Pollard events. Uh, I actually read something about this somewhere else. I looked all morning. I couldn't, couldn't find where I'd read that. The second location that um, Ruppelt talks about in his chapter is Los Alamos. So that's where the uh, other, um, I think that's where when he talks about the major, where the, uh, the second sighting are in the book chapter where they're talking about the uh, uh, da, da, da. the major saw it and they didn't have any, couldn't find any records and uh, uh, Rockhounds, Rockhounds, Colonel, Colonel had no records of the group operation, but he knew who had it. Then he promised to wire them personally. Data had been, the Colonel's, Eagles, the word of the Rockhounds were, were spread to a large laboratory in the east. That was Los Alamos. And oh, Elf, was it? That's what I, I saw that. that. Yeah, I saw that somewhere else in something that I read, and I, there's so much. <laughs> there's just so much stuff. I mean, it's like I talk about the conspiracy thing with the strings and stuff. I got to yeah. figure out some way to organize this information. An Air Force colonel told the story to some friends. They decided to look personally in the situation. Um, the colonel's group got permission to check the records of radiation survey station. This is at Los Alamos, and look over the logs of the radar stations. They found instances where during the same period of time that radiation in the area had been much higher than normal. Radar had had a UFO on the scope. These events had occurred during a period of January 1951 until June of 1951. And this original... Oh yeah, it's in here too. It's in the, uh, it's in the report. It says 50, 51, 52... The same occurrence had taken place at the Los Alamos Scientific Laboratory in Los Alamos, New Mexico. That's in the the unclassified secret um, status report from Project Blue Book for 1953, of February 1953. Um, now they, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of now, okay, can you make one of these things? I mean, it appears to take it, a lot of power. No, I, it's just a Geiger counter. I think it's just a Geiger counter. They're talking about cosmic ray detectors, and I'm not too sure how that was. So, so going back, one of the things that was a, um, well, Los Alamos would have uh, radiation detectors all over the place, right? Right. Uh, Palomar was doing cosmic ray detecting equipment, and I'm not really sure what that equipment was, but I'm assuming it's just basically like a Geiger counter. Um, and they, um, you know, they saw this and tried to correlate correlate what they were seeing. Um, now, the the Project Blue Book, it says in their, their summary report, says to further inquire in the matter, the Navy report on October 1949 was obtained. Navy report. Oh, I guess the the uh, Los, Los, the Palomar Observatory is a naval observatory. Okay. Uh, at the same time, the radiation picked up some unknown flurry, uh, personnel observed something in the area. Uh, they said in one instance the object appeared similar to a bird, in another instance very similar to formation of aircraft, which that's the description that I had from the Project Blue Book summary card. The Navy detailed checking the equipment and went so far as to fly aircraft, which they talked about 
determine whether or not radar or other electronic equipment in the aircraft could have caused a sudden burst of radiation. They but they flew very, they flew quite a few different aircraft. It yeah, like they, it's, it's a Navy. Figure out if this is what it was caused. Yeah, it's a Navy observatory. So they, they actually, this is a good follow-up. They, they triple-checked the equipment. They flew aircraft. Um, and then they, they finally they finally determined that there was a very good possibility that the sighting of the detection that there was a very good possibility that sighting and the detection of radiation was merely a coincidence. That the objects were possibly birds or aircraft, and the sudden burst of radiation was due to a malfunction malfunction of the equipment or interference that is not completely understood at the present time. And that's actually interesting, but they don't follow up with the. Um, Well, they did this the thing for, well, for a year, yeah. you know, for a couple of years, and then they would go up every. Well, they the, could, yeah, you didn't have to be there. It, it had yeah. a detection, you know, a record recording of some sort. Yeah, and then they to tried to show what happened, and they tried to coordinate that with UFO sightings. So they thought that they, the people that set up the equipment, thought that they had seen something. The Los Alamos group. Um, thought that they had seen coincidences in these things. Um, so yeah, so I think this is one of the things where we talk about finding uh, evidence, direct evidence of um, uh, UFO sightings. So like people talking about getting material that fall off them or you know whatever else. Um, but this is one of the things that actually is a strong correlation for if you have a sighting, you have a radiation. This stuff was never followed up on. It was just sort of shut down and uh, from the Roberts committee thing which we'll talk about next time next time I'm available since I won't be here next week uh, the two reported from the from the Roberts report the uh, cosmic ray phenomenon two reported cases were examined one at Palomar Mountain California October 1949 when cosmic ray counter went off the scale for a few seconds apparently while a V of flying saucers was observed visually and two, a series of observations by Los Alamos Bird Watchers Association. Okay. From August 1950 to January 1951, when cosmic ray coincidence encounters behaved queerly. The, uh, Dr. Alvarez, was, who was part of the Roberts panel, he, uh, he was quickly to point out the recorded data were undoubtedly due to instrumental effects that would have been recognized by, as such, by more observant. Uh, experienced observers, and Alvarez later won the Nobel Prize for his work. So, um, I'm of two minds on this. I figure that Alvarez would definitely know what he was talking about if he looked at this equipment, because I think he was a radar expert. And uh, but also the people at Los Alamos and the people at, at the Naval Observatory, when uh, Palomar Observatory was a naval observatory, they would also know their equipment and the sort of idiosyncrasies of this stuff. So, um, my question is, yeah, I, th I, I don't know. I don't think Los Alamos would have screwed up the equipment, uh, but we don't know who the people were. We don't know their quali qualifications or their level of experience. Uh, so, it's one of these things where there was an opportunity to sort of explore physical evidence of, unusual physical evidence of UFO sightings, and it wasn't followed up. Uh, it's it's one of those things where you make an observation and then you go, okay, we should do more, but they never did more. 
Oh. Well, they ended up, you know, they had a probably, well, they could get the equipment, but it's a hobby. I mean, they can't just grab stuff out of Los Alamos. Yeah, we're going to use this. Well, at, at a you know. place like Los, yeah, place at Los Alamos, yeah, I think they could just pretty much grab the equipment and use it. Because I've worked at universities and, and been around these Well, as long as they're on this, I mean, can you take it off? They're still on the... They were facility they were, premises, right? Yeah, they're still just, in the area. Yeah. yeah, and you just yeah. you can borrow equipment. You just tell people you check it out. You tell people that you're taking the equipment, and if the stuff's not being used, everyone's generally. This is my experience. Everyone's generally fine with you using it as long as they know where it is and they trust you to not you know smash it against the wall. So, um, anyway, so yeah, I think that this is a really, really interesting. Observation. I don't think it was pursued enough. Um, well, um, yeah, yeah, it was a modified Geiger counter. Like you and I can't just grab a Geiger counter. And I always picture a Geiger counter. You'll know about. I haven't seen you. You don't. You have a Geiger counter? Do yeah, I do. One? Yeah, I do. So the um, is it like? What does it look like? I mean, I pictured the one you see on the science fiction shows where it looks like. Mine's a like little. A, mine's a little brown box. Almost like detector with the with the head cut off. It, it, yeah. Yeah. My, you ever, do my, you turn it on to see if there's any, you know, radiation around? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I have. Um, I have it. Yeah. I don't see it. I should carry it with me wherever I go, though. Um, <laughs> along hook with, it, yeah. Hook uh, it to your car. Along with uh, the, along with my UFO binoculars, the um, the radioactive Boy Scout, which is a great book to read. This kid um, was fascinated with with radiation, and. Um, uh, he would care, have a Geiger counter on the dashboard of his car when he drive around, and he liked to to like gather radium or radioactive stuff. So he would. Uh, there's one thing in the book where he's like driving past an antique store, and his Geiger counter went off. So he goes in there, and he found like uh, clocks or something that have the uh, radium. Oh, that radium. Radi- ra- the radium yeah. dials, yeah. So and he, and he <laughs> did. They, back, you ever see the story where they? People used to paint that stuff on them because it would glow. Yeah, <laughs> and they would paint it back in the uh, like yeah. in the fifties. Yeah, the, and the stuff they put on the clocks that would glow, and then they would paint themselves, and they do all these weird exploits in the bedroom and things because they're all painted up. And it turned out they were dying because it was radioactive. Oh yeah, well the you know, like oh the, my god, the people that used to paint the clocks, they would um, they would wet the brushes. In their mouths. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of those people got really sick from that. Um, yeah. It was before we knew anything about radiation or the yeah. the, the negative yeah. effects of radiation. So I, uh, yeah, the radiation phenomena I thought was interesting. The the problem is uh, with a lot of this stuff is they they didn't correlate the data. Um, like Dr. Alvarez came in and said, "There's something wrong with the the thing." They should have. This should have been something that Blue Book should have picked up on, uh, get, got validated equipment, and set it up as a, a like an observatory type thing. Yeah, well, uh, like experiment. They're, yeah, they're ta- yeah they're talking about with with cameras, but like in these these the air bases and the the nuclear test facilities where they're saying they're seeing a lot of UFOs. Um. Set these up, correlate it with um, radar sightings, and I think in the Los Alamos, yeah, the Los Alamos, uh, they were saying that they correlated some of these uh, radiation speaks, these spikes, with um, uh, radar sightings. 
the interest in the, I think by the scientists in the um, cosmic ray aspect of it is because cosmic rays are very very highly energetic, highly penetrative penetrative particles, and uh, remember at the time in the 1950s nuclear energy was new and the, the nuclear um, fusion reaction is uh, uh, the chain reaction is you have uh, neutrons coming off of the radioactive material and splitting the, the, the atoms of other molecules and more neutrons and it's basically the thing if you have like the mouse trap you've seen the videos of the mouse traps with the ping pong balls yeah and you throw you know, yeah you throw some ping pong balls in there and they all go off and they all bounce around so it's like a simulation of a chain reaction and the speculation in the 50s was like if uh, the neutron chain reaction generated so much power if you could use cosmic rays to generate power it would be so much more so the speculation was uh, flying saucers were harnessing the power that would generate cosmic rays so they would leak cosmic rays when they would be flying around and you could detect them and that's where the the Palomar Palomar Navy uh, people were were trying to detect and in Los Alamos I think it was just standard radiation detectors just because they have detectors all over the place for the facility and right. and there you could go and look at the radiation logs you look for spikes and then you could look at the um, you know radar logs or the UFO logs and uh, do a correlation and they were saying that they saw something they saw a correlation of these the data um, and then everybody went away and and no follow-up and project blue book didn't do a serious follow-up um, and I think that's mainly because what we've heard about with project blue book they didn't have the resources they were high they were understaffed um, they didn't have a big budget and they just had to cover a lot of ground so anyway Hey, there's a sighting that I thought was in this report, too, from the report number nine at White Sands that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so the conclusion of, I'm going to read it backwards. This was an a, a event that happened, White Sands, New Mexico, 25th November, 1952. Um, and this is from the January 53, I think it's February. No, this is a January 53 uh Blue Book status report, confidential, unclassified currently. Uh, the conclusion was inefficient data for evaluation. Discussion of the incident, it is possible the object was an aircraft, except from the description, it appeared to be low if it were an aircraft, and it evidently no sound was heard. Right. No follow-up investigation was made, and since additional data are needed, no evaluation can be made. So this was a following extract from the monthly intelligence summary, White Sands Proving Ground. The source is a field-grade officer assigned to White Sands. While and this is his statement. While returning to White Sands Proving Ground from Beaumont Hospital at approximately 20-30 hours on November 25, 1952, I observed what appeared to be flares or pyrotechnics on the right side of the road. My first thought that these objects were flares that were being fired by troops on a night project. However, shortly thereafter, a matter of seconds, I observed what appeared to be a flare land right in the middle of the road, about three or four hundred yards distance. Wow. It assumed the shape of a ball having a green center, fading to a light hazy blue at the exterior. 
This light disappeared before my car arrived at the spot. After observing this light, I thought what the Department of Army had a new type pyrotechnics that I was not familiar with that they were using on a night problem. Approximately three to five minutes later, I observed a light or a series of lights approaching from the right side of the road in the heavens at an altitude of about three to 500 feet between one quarter and one half mile distant. I thought that probably in conjunction with the night problem, this was an airborne drop of troops. I first thought it might be a C-119 or a C-123. However, this object made a right-hand turn above the road and then disappeared at an angle of approximately 90 degrees straight into the sky. Wow. I, ca I cannot state whether it was a plane or a type of aircraft. I can merely state that there were two rows of what appeared to be windows brilliantly lighted and I would estimate that they were five to six feet in height and six to eight windows in each of the two rows. After this object disappeared I stopped my car and got out to see if I could see a plane but could see nothing. I turned off the motor on my car to see if I could hear the motors of a plane but I could hear no sound. I then proceeded to White Sands Proving Ground. So that's pretty wild. Um, that is crazy. That is. And it's monthly intelligence summary from a field grade officer at White Sands. So this is definitely not, you know, I mean, this is a guy just reporting what he saw. But he's coming from the hospital, so who knows? Uh, yeah, who knows what he was, uh, what was up there. Yeah. But it's interesting because they wanted to use, at some point, the colonel. Um, that got involved with the project after it got out of what the Rockhounds were doing uh -huh. up uh, in their shack on the top of the hill and checking every two days. And he said he did, they decided that they were going to develop this thing and put it on aircraft and see if they could use it for UFO detection, I'm assuming. And it never happened. It never. I think it, they tried to get it to project and then... Um, it was evaluated by other scientists who decided that, hey, we, you didn't see any, you know, there's no photographic evidence of the UFO to collaborate the, the you know, the radiation detection phenomenon. Yeah. And I think they killed it at that point. Yeah, you have, well, I mean, we know from reading, um, I think it's Kehoe's books, that, or his, his first two books, that the Pentagon had two different factions. They had a faction that was like, something's going on, and they had a faction like, this is just nonsense. And then when you have, let's, let's put additional equipment in an aircraft. I mean, it's like the camera systems that, that um, Project Blue Book wanted to put together and Project Galileo at Harvard is now doing seven years later. Uh, they, they couldn't get the resources. And we've, we've talked about that sort of with the modern aspect of these UAPs that the Navy's seeing, it's like when things things will go up the chain, everything goes up the chain of command. And at some point, you, there's a level of a, approval, budget approval, project approval, and everything goes up through layers. You don't know how many layers there are. There could be five, there could be 50. And anybody at one of those layers can go, no. And it shuts everything down. And I yes. think I think you see you see that all the time, and with this, especially with the UFO phenomenon in the in the fifties, um, you had a strong cohort in the Pentagon saying this is just nonsense, this is waste of time, it's a distraction. We have more important things to do, such as fighting the Soviet Union, and um, 
you had the other group um, saying something is going on. We need to get serious about researching it. And it's taken 70 years for people to finally, for the Pentagon um, and even academia at this point to to say, and there are there are scientists at academia that look into this stuff currently uh, to to say, okay, there's there's a phenomenon. Let's get real about it. Let's do a real scientific investigation. And yet, and this Geiger counter cosmic ray detector thing, I think, is a great approach because it's, it gives you two correlates for for your observation. Actually, gives you a. I think it is it. What are the, what are the criteria that Kehoe would talk about? You needed a visual sighting uh, and a radar sighting, radar track, right? Is that it? Visual and yeah. radar. And then, uh, so what you would have is you'd have a radar track. You'd send. You'd you'd send an aircraft, an F ninety four. The F ninety four, the pilot would get a visual, and then the craft would get a radar lock. So you'd have radar, visual, radar. And if you all you needed to do is put Geiger counters on these airplanes. Right, and, and uh, that's what they tried to. That's what they were talking about doing. Yeah, the interceptors. It would have been awesome because then uh, you know a modern uh, or even an older nineteen fifties uh, intelligence jet with a camera. You know they had the camera guns. Set up interceptors with, with uh, camera guns, a radiation detector with a recorder, uh, maybe even something to record the. I mean, you don't need it because you got the pilot and the. Um, I made a mistake when I was talking about F 94. F 94s have a, um, a front guy and a back guy. The back guy is the targeting guy, the weapons, weapons targeting, and the pilot. Right. So the uh, so you'd have visual, radar, radiation, and film. So you'd have witness, film, radiation. I mean, they could have done this. It, it was simple, and I, the equipment was. I mean, they could have done it with state of the art equipment at the time, and they just never followed up with this. And I think it was just the the multiple factions in the uh, um, Pentagon that were fighting it. And all it needs is like you know you might hit three levels of, of officers or of the bureaucracy that say yeah this is interesting, and then you hit someone that's like this is just nonsense. Shut it down. And no budget approval. And everything runs on budgets. So yeah, the money. Yeah. So they killed it because they had a group of scientists that said they, you know, there was no solid evidence that one uh, had anything to do with the other, basically. Well, Alvarez carried a lot of weight. I mean, this is a guy that's on the Roberts panel, and him saying they screwed up the electronics could cause this artifact. I mean, I see that, and I'm going, yeah, okay, I got to... You know, the guy has such a big reputation, was such a big dog at the time. It's like, uh, you, you hate to say, I mean, it happens. You can look at, I mean, there are scientists, a lot of scientists that make, make mistakes, but I hate to look at somebody like Alvarez and go, eh, you know, the guy was full of shit. But, you know, I have the question because everyone else, um, these people worked with the equipment and they knew it, but... Alvarez was one of the people that was building and inventing the equipment at the time, so I'm, I'm hard to say that uh, he didn't know what he was doing. Um, I saw this recently. I was reading an older article by Eddington, who was an early physicist, and I read a s sentence in this thing, and I'm going, this is just wrong. And I, <laughs> I'm looking at this sentence and go, this is just backwards. Eddington has it backwards. But then I'm like, but it can't be backwards because this is Eddington. This is the guy that... that uh, you know, laid this stuff out or discovered this stuff. He can't have it backwards. So it's just like, okay, so my understanding is screwed up. 
and I got, or, you know, maybe he's wrong. I don't know. I gotta check it out. Oops. You gotta reach. I dropped, I dropped something. So anyway, yeah, I love, I love reading this stuff and being sort of waffling, going, well, I don't know. It could be this, it could be that. I mean, it's the whole story of UFOs for the past, you know, 70 years. Um, there's well, I'd love to see what modifications and recording methods they were using. I'm sure it's beyond our capability to set up or not. I just put it on my desk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, okay. I'll just keep an eye on it that way. It's like, it could it be that simple? No, probably not. But well, you know they have. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can always get a uh, EMF meter, um, like they're using yeah, they'll, using in ro um, the. Uh, Oh, what's that ranch? Skywalker, Skinwalker oh, Ranch. Oh, Skinwalker Ranch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're using EMF re uh, recorder. You can always, that's something. So, I mean, it's like if you were, I mean, you'd have, uh, to investigate this, you'd have a Geiger counter. You'd have, you have an EMF recorder. Um, uh, this is all, none of this equipment is new equipment. Uh, the, no. only, the only difference now between the 1950s is that the stuff is small. So instead of a bulky thing with solid-state electronics, it's all microchips and some some other small electronics. So yeah, I mean the the ability to uh, to seriously search and test, and it's being done. Um, the the new Defense Act is telling the armed forces is forces to um, modify their equipment to and their procedures to record and report these incidents. Uh, Project Galileo is setting it up. I'm sure they'll have, I mean, they'll set up these scopes. And, you know, if they're smart, these scopes will have a, a their sky searching scopes. They're, they're, I forget what they're called, they're dragon eyes. Uh, we'll have uh, EMF and um, radiation detectors built into them. It just makes sense. And now with everything, it's, it's, it's easy to hook it up and have, uh, you know, record it threshold just like we're doing with this audio stuff you have a threshold level so if the radiation or the emf comes up a certain level you start recording and the camera starts recording and you you're getting a lot of data and this is not something this is not something that um, not new technology no no it's just it was bulky technology in the past now it's just like it's cheaper and it's easier to build and set up so um, so what do we do? So now what do we, we do. The, what do we do now? The radiation, when the detection's there, Galileo can see the UFOs. There it is. I got a picture of it, just like we're getting yeah. to Tic Tac. Yeah. What do we do now? What uh, happens next? We see you. I. I mean, I. I well, it feels the, like you know, because they're they're dicking with us. I mean, based on based on the Tic Tac video from I think that was 2014. Um, you know, it went back to, you know, it knew where the the jet was going back to its run, its rally point. Yeah. And it went back on its own. Now, you know, it was it was like you're screwing with us. I mean, while the interview, it's like it, the thing was the thing was toying with us. And uh, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, hopefully Galileo can shed some light on this. Yeah, I don't know. It what do we do now? Okay, yeah, we see it. We know they're there. Should we just ignore them? I mean, they're just, they're not doing anything, but just flying around. I mean, they're not running into us. They're not shooting laser beams at us. They don't have graves falling out with gray guns <laughs> shooting at us. Make it interesting. You know? Make it yeah, fun. Well, 
Yeah, at least make it, yeah, don't bore me. Yeah, make, so, it, make it fun. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you want to you want to talk about the, oh, there's a couple more things. There was the Japanese sighting we didn't talk about last time. Yeah, the um, age, the, uh, yeah, with the. Uh, what is this? This is, oh, that's, that's the white. The last, yeah, that's the last, from the last one. That was White Sands. They have watched, uh, this report also talks about, um, Incidents in Washington, D.C. again. This is the same report that I was talking about, status report number nine. Uh, da, 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 showed same pattern behavior as before. The 900, 100 miles an hour, the, the, the radar tracks over D.C. Reported, seen on previous night, stated it above. Report similar ones reported from the Washington National Airport Tower. Great deal of discussion as to the effects of inversion and blah, blah, blah. Nothing. Okay. So, yeah, uh, this is project number 10. Oh, 10 was, 10 was the uh, correlation radiation counts. This is interesting. Why don't we just shoot them down? Don't yeah, I've been, saying, like, I've, been, okay, I've been saying... Okay, I've been saying this for a long time. It's funny. I'm looking at these reports. Report number nine is confidential, and then report number ten was secret. So they upped the, uh, for some reason, they upped the classification status of these reports. That's funny. Uh, so the Jap Jap Japan, uh, what did it say? Last month, a definite increase number of reports received from FEAF by ATIC. And I don't know what that is. This has been company. This is the sightings over northern Japan. Publicity in national press. Certain number of observations from northern Japan near Russian-held territory. They have been given a good deal of attention by Project Blue Book. Colonel in F-84 over Hokkaido Island. The second pilot radar observer in an F-94 aircraft also over northern Japan. Reports of both sightings have been received. F-84 sighting was analyzed as a probable star. Ooh, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, F-94 report involves a radar contact by the radar observer with a simultaneous visual sighting of the object and cannot be explained at the present time. So that's that's sort of the, the classic standard for the 50s, was you had a visual radar, ra radar, F-94 sent in, and then radar contact with, by the radar observer and a visual sighting. And then nothing. I mean, they don't even have a statement yeah. by the from the pilots or anything. It's uh, almost commonplace. Like, yeah, it's another, you know, food, you know, it's another UFO sighting. Now they just recently allowed, like, we're in 2021, and now all of a sudden, oh, it's okay to report these things. You're not going to get your flight status pulled. Um, yeah, they could. They could. Um, they had serious penalties for them talking about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, so nobody wanted to talk about anything unless they was, you know, anonymous. Yeah, So. yeah. Um, yeah, so we shoot when, I mean, they do, they say, oh, they do about 1,500 miles an hour. I mean, some of our missiles, some of our, you know, uh, Inter aircraft. Interceptors. Interceptors. Yeah. Interceptor missiles, I think, I believe, can do... Um, at least 1,500 miles an hour, but maybe you can't get radar lock on the thing. I don't know. But, you know, again, when Robert and I did an episode of Why Can't We Find You, why, why, where are the aliens? That's uh -huh. one of our early episodes. Yeah. And, I mean, it, we say, well, the thing's not big enough to carry, like, a person. Well, grays or whatever could be really small. <laughs> maybe they're tiny. Tiny. Maybe they're little tiny grays. Tiny people. You know, but like you said, maybe they're drones. But it'd be nice to yeah. just... 
shoot one well, down and you know see what. Hopefully, there's nothing alive inside. But or there, or it, all, all of a sudden, a million of them you shoot one down. A million show up and start shooting. Down. <laughs> or they're AIs. Yeah, this, I mean, if it's an AI, yeah. if it's an AI, the, yeah. the size doesn't matter. I mean, it could be as. Yeah. as I mean, the, the limitation. Small as anything. Yeah. So the technology is the limitation on the size if it's AI. So. It, it could be a hummingbird. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. It could know. be any size. It, it could be. It, it, so these little yeah. these little sightings of these craft that are ten feet across or five feet across. So yeah, there was another video online too by Chris Leho, who is awesome. Is very good. Um, Yep. Responding to a critique of his video by Thunderfoot, who is also awesome, but they are—I um, mean, basically—they're just, you know, it's he said, she, she said type argument, and it all boils down to they don't know. So you can criticize this—they're criticizing the uh, Go Fast video, or supporting it, or, or analyzing it, or whatever it is—and it boils down to not enough information. You can speculate about what's going on with this, the GoVast video and what the pilots are seeing. They're definitely seeing something, um, but there's not enough information and the Navy had other instrumentation and other uh, data on this video and the Navy concluded that it was a, a UFO, an unknown nice. object. So um, I, I'm a little frustrated. I like, I like Thunderfoot's analysis. I think it's great to see that because he's, he's very solid in his analysis. Uh, I like Chris Lato's analysis, the same thing. His analysis are very, very solid, and they're at odds with each other. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's, what, that's what, the, what good discussion is about. You have people talking both sides of the, the problem. Uh, I don't think any conclusion can be, be drawn from their um, observations or arguments other than it's an unknown, more information is needed. Yeah. So, uh, should we talk about the UFO guy and the Swiss UFO guy just briefly? How are we doing on time? Uh, we're we're at an hour and one minute, two minutes now. Better probably wrap it up, save it for next time you're on. Yes. Couple weeks. Yes, I'm gone. Deb will, Deb will be back. Well, we'll get Deb back on her weird laws episode. But is doing very well. I think there was a lot of, we have 50% women listeners, and thank you out there. It's, oh, I, on that uh, one? Oh, uh, on, uh, when Deb goes on, it the listener, female listenership goes up. It's interesting. Oh, so, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Alien Pro Podcast. We welcome comments, questions, and requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook at AlienProbe.net, Twitter at AlienProbePod, and YouTube, which we're, we've exceeded 41,000 views. Thank you very much out there. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Bill, for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. Sorry. Well, not sorry, but have a good trip. Sorry. <laughs> sorry you're not going to be with us next week. Yep. But uh, have a good trip. And um, Okay. Thanks to our senior producer, Robert Anthony, as always. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, your the work. Warehouse. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he replaced, uh, you know,
sink in there, and we had a sink that was rusted, and some, you know, the overflow drain, you know, on the back uh-huh. the hole. Yeah, we were doing an event there. Put his finger in the comes out and cut my finger oh. of the customer, and I'm like, "Would you cut your finger on?" Well, there's a rusted hole in the sink. I go, "Why are you putting your finger in there?" You know, yeah. are you okay? We need to fill out an accident. No, I just thought I'd let you know. Those are all words I hate to hear. Oh, and because uh, you know it's coming. Um, luckily, nothing ever happened. But I called him, and he, and then of course it was rusted down below, and it was rusted inside as the drain pipe went into the walls. <laughs> so oh yeah, yeah. It turned into some major thing. I'm like, ah, I never would have been able to do that. Yeah, yeah. 